0: There's all these downstream resources at the edge of the grid. There's demand response, there's manufacturing automation, there's storage. Some of these companies I talked about earlier, we're looking to supply them with behind the meter generation. All that generation can be dispatched and brought into the grid efficiently. And it empowers consumers, it gives them another revenue stream, it gives them resiliency and reliability, and it's a more balanced system.
1: This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. This is episode 037 of the Flux Capacitor. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face but using Zoom. This is the fourth podcast in a series Shining a Light on Climate Change, Net Zero Greenhouse Gas Commitments, and what the implications may be for those Net Zero Commitments. Over this podcast series, I want to unpack these GHG Emissions Reduction Targets and Net Zero Commitments to try to understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity, how it will change energy use, and what it may mean for customers. For this fourth podcast in the series, I'm joined by Brian Bentz, President and CEO of Electra Inc., the largest municipally owned utility in Canada. Here is my conversation with Brian, recorded in June 2021. Brian, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're able to join.
0: Thank you, Francis. I'm glad to be here.
1: I thought I'd start just with a pretty basic question, but for a listener, if the listener isn't from Ontario, they might uh, have a question about what is Electra, because now, you know, it sounds like a company name that was uh, developed by, um, you know, a branding expert that doesn't have the geographical location name uh, in it. So uh, maybe for the listener, what is Electra and where are you based and and kind of, you know, what is geographically, what does it encompass?
0: Sure. Yes. Uh, Uh, Electra is a um, electricity distribution company based in Southern Ontario. And it is the, we're known as the largest municipally owned energy company in Canada, and actually in North America. Wow. Based on customers served, over 1 million customers in the greater Toronto Hamilton area. Um, Our company was formed in 2017. Mm -hmm. We're the product of a merger and uh, two acquisitions.
1: So the merger
0: of uh, three former local distribution companies, it serving uh, York Region, Hamilton, uh, Mississauga, and we acquired Hydro One Brampton from Hydro One in 2017. And then we merged with Guelph, so we serve 17 communities Mm -hmm. in the GTHA and um, high density, urban utility and uh, position for, for growth and uh, low-carbon future.
1: Great. Well, yeah, and that's what we want to talk about, the, the future and net zero by 2050. But but I got to ask, pulling together uh, all of these different companies, uh, both through the, the mergers and the acquisitions, how complex was that to merge so many different companies with different systems and different cultures? Or, or is it is it kind of still an ongoing process?
0: Um, I, I guess the best way I could answer that question was when we did the transaction, Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side of the transaction, representing the province of Ontario, was Ed Clark, who was the former CEO of the TD Bank. Right. And uh, when when we said to him that um, we weren't doing uh, a merger of two, we were doing a merger of three, Mm -hmm. plus an acquisition of another one, and ultimately another acquisition of the the second one, Uh bringing five together. He basically said, um, I would never do that <laughs> in my banking career, and you realize what you're getting into, uh-huh. and you know, we, we did have great ambitions. It was, it, it is, gets, I would say, having gone through five years of the m it yep. gets exponentially more complicated the more parties you bring to a merger and acquisition simultaneously. right? And, and with, this was a merger of equals. So mm-hmm. in terms of post-merger integration and looking at systems and processes and culture, yeah. um, we're building it from scratch. Right. This isn't, we have a legacy utility and you, know, you fold into that one. Right. This is, we, are, we are reinventing ourselves in terms of our culture, our processes, and our strategy going forward, but I'm glad to say uh, it's been, it's been in, in my view, uh, quite a success mm-hmm. because of the commitment of our municipal shareholders, uh, the board of directors that we have, but mostly our, our people and our employees right. who really came together and believed in the concept and, yeah. and we think we have a great company going forward.
1: Awesome, and it's now the largest municipally owned uh, distribution company in, in North America.
0: Second largest to Second largest. Los Angeles Water and Power. Okay. Largest in Canada.
1: Largest in Canada. Gotcha. Hey, uh, let's uh, let's shift gears, Brian, to net zero 2050. And I'd seen that uh, Electra had recently announced plans for Electra to, to be net zero by 2050 with a, an incremental goal of reducing emissions by 38% by 2025, which is... Four years away, less than four years away. So maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the, the company's process. Uh, like, how did you determine that you know this was going to be the the amount? What are the steps that you are taking to to achieve these targets? Because it's quite an ambitious target. Well, both both the the, the target in four years time and the target twenty fifty.
0: Yeah, there's a pattern here in uh-huh. merger and acquisition targets and ambitious sustainability goals. <laughs> this this was a journey. Like, yeah. like most things so when we came together and it follows on the heels of sort of the reinventing the uh, the company from scratch yeah. uh, when we came together in 2017 obviously the legacy utilities they had um, a lot of uh, achievements and you know a lot of uh, commitment to mm-hmm. conservation programs collectively We had the conservation first framework in Ontario. Uh, Electric collectively had the largest conservation targets of any utility in the province, including Hydro One. So we had some very ambitious goals uh, and and we achieved them. We actually overachieved them. Some of our utilities were uh, on the other side of Fit One rooftop solar contracts. So up to 30, 35 megawatts of installed rooftop solar. But this was really a chance to kind of clean the slate and say, what are we about? And and our, our tagline and our philosophy is and still is discover the possibilities. So this is really a call to action uh, across a whole number of fronts, stakeholders, employees um, and our owners, customers. What is the art of the possible? How can we? And this was the catalyst for launching our innovation and sustainability initiatives within the new organization and seeing what might work. So the team got together and they did some baseline. They did some materiality assessments. Okay. So we said, okay, how are we going to put our stake in the ground in terms of GHG goals and sustainability? We went out to all of our stakeholders externally and internally, and we found out that of them said Electra should be a leader in sustainability. They should be a sustainable company. Okay. And we went with one-on-one interviews with our boards. They gave us suggestions. We formed a corporate sustainability committee. We tied that into our enterprise risk management. We tied it into our strategic planning. We made a statement. Our statement said, as a sustainable company, Electra is committed to empowering our customers, communities, and employees, protecting the environment and embracing innovation to meet today's needs and the needs of future generations. Mm-hmm. We set out and we said, okay, and that was endorsed by our board uh, and all of our board committees and our executive management team and the broader organization. So, yeah. how do we translate this into action? It's great to have aspirations, but let's translate this into action. Mm-hmm. And we had baselines, but we took the baseline in 2016 because that was the the year prior to our incorporation of the new entity. So our baseline is in 2005. Mm-hmm. Our baseline is 2016. Gotcha. And we set what we said uh, was, and now we said was a modest target of achieving 20 percent below 2016 baseline by 2026 this was our coming out of the gate target and so we, we, we went in with this philosophy of what gets measured gets done and we looked at you know primarily uh, areas um, like fleet building and grid and said where can we improve our carbon footprint to meet these targets we went forward and had a, a, a very committed plan a measured plan and what we found was that by the end of 2019, we had achieved a 19% reduction.
1: In those three years?
0: Three years. Wow. So we were, hmm, that's really great. We aren't we're not gonna sit on our laurels here. What's next? So we call it from going from a small target to a bigger target to an aspirational target. Yeah. So we took that the successes that we had learned in, uh, in 2017, uh, 18, and 19, and said, how can we take that to the next level? The, the target that we set in uh, 2017 was based upon the green economy hubs, which had a standard of 20% in Ontario, we were a member, but we thought we needed a more um, disciplined approach okay. to setting our targets. So we use the um, science-based target methodology, mm-hmm. which is a methodology, methodology that's endorsed by the United Nations. Um, and it has a SBT tool associated with it. It's used by 590 companies across the globe. So there is a global benchmarking standard. Um, it's tied into World Resources Institute and um, the World um, Wildlife Fund for Nature. So it's a collaboration of entities including Carbon Disclosure Project, CDP, Mm -hmm. and they have this Excel spreadsheet and this tool that basically says, based on on your objectives and your history and a lot of inputs, including uh, GDP corporate profile and how aggressive you wanna be, it will give you benchmark targets in specific areas. And we went through that process and that tool and collaborated with um, the science-based target methodology leaders. And uh, we took an aggressive approach. It does align with the 1.5 degree pathway that ties with the Paris Climate Accord. Um, And so when we put it through the blender, so to speak, and tested it with our leaders, we came out with the magic number of 38% by 2025. So we go small target, we go big target, and then we put the long-term stake in the ground, 2050 net zero. Yes, does that have a roadmap? No, the 2050 doesn't, 2025 certainly does. But it's all about focus, target, commitment, ambitious, planning, execution.
1: Yeah, interesting, very interesting. You know, reflecting back on a conversation on a previous podcast with Ken Hartwick at OPG, and, and you know, uh, not the same methodology necessarily, but the same kind of result. Where you know, Ken Ken was talking about we know sixty percent of 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 how we're going to achieve that. You know, the long term, the other forty percent we're gonna we're gonna figure out, uh, and, and we're working on that. Um, listen, before before we uh, uh, go any further, well, two things. One, so science-based target methodology, if the, if the, if the listener is interested, that's that's the the approach that you've taken. Yes. It's, called, it's called the science-based target methodology. Okay, so that's the one that people can Google at. Uh, and then the second thing is uh, I, I ask people to come on the podcast before we get too far down the track about their journey. Uh, and and I think the, the the listener would be interested in what your journey was, Brian. When you were a young a young lad in the playground, uh, were you dreaming then of of running, uh, running a, 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 a well what's with now the largest municipally owned distribution company of Ontario? How did you go from there to here?
0: Um, actually, I you know my uncle is a doctor, and I wanted to become a physician. Oh, okay. that was my original goal. But I always liked um, I always liked science. Uh huh. So I entered into, uh, took an undergraduate degree in mathematics, but somehow that morphed into numbers and accounting, which I oh. think I had to. Okay. So I ended up at KPMG as an auditor and I did I did audits of municipal utilities, which led me into the municipal utility sector, which led me, and I started at Barry and then I moved to Vaughan. And then when when I was at Vaughn Hydro, that's when we did the merger with, with PowerStream. So we brought Vaughn, and Richmond Hill together. Then we acquired Aurora, and that became a larger PowerStream of about 250,000 customers. And then we did the merger with uh, InnerSource Horizon PowerStream, acquiring Hydro One Brampton and merging with Guelph. So I've gone from 27,000 customers when I first started my career vary to 1.1 million now, and it's been a great journey. Along the way, I did get a CET, Certified Engineering Technologist, because at one point in my career, someone thought it would be a good idea. Instead of me running finance, I should run operations, engineering uh-huh. operations. So I had a math degree, and and, and I liked science. So I took the, uh, the, the college courses to get the CET designation as well in electrical.
1: Interesting. A very interesting journey. If we get back to, to, to the net zero, a lot of the conversations that, that I've had uh, up until now have been principally about generation uh, and what generation, where generation fits. Uh, just did a podcast um, with, uh, with Molly Johnson, the ADM at Natural Resources Canada. Of course, she talked about transmission, but we usually don't talk too much about distribution and the role that distribution is going to play in that net zero future. But that, for uh, a large segment of of the canadian economy that that's where energy uh, uh utilization is taking place so what's good what's going to be the role for uh distribution distribution companies like yours in our net zero future
0: the way we put it is um we're at ground zero to yeah. the net future we truly are when we look at the um the uh, government's goals, their restated goals we're familiar with, 40 to 45% over 2005 levels. Again, it's probably much like OPG. We, yeah. we know where we want to go. Do we know exactly how we're going to get there? No, we don't. We know, however, that um, the vast majority of GHG emissions in Canada come from the energy sector. And, and most of that is coming either from um, uh, transportation or building emissions. Right. And, and so where does, the, where does the role of the local utility come in and the distribution grid come in to enable that? We have, we have low, relatively in Ontario, uh, low, um, relatively carbon-free. Uh, power sources in terms of the uh, you know off coal and and modest natural gas as a percentage of total installed capacity Um, so relatively clean fleet Um, so the the way we're going to get there is through the electrification of mass transit Mm -hmm. converting diesel uh, to hydrogen or renewables or energy drawn right off the grid, which has right. a low carbon footprint, yeah. um, or the conversion of um, 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 cooling and heating in buildings. So right. energy conversion. The only way that happens, I, I believe in a graceful way, uh, is through uh, the accommodation of the, of, of the grid to enable those technology to happen We've talked a lot and we've got um, part of uh, what we've done in terms of uh, enabling innovation is we've established this uh, green energy and technology center in Guelph, which is uh, a collaboration of um, minds that come around, academia, innovation, entrepreneurialism, science and technology, commercial, legal, and, and it's a think tank for, for innovation. And so we've engaged, um, we're looking for new solutions. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the things we've done is we've, um, we've had outreach and conversations with a lot, of, a lot of our large industrial customers and some of them in the automotive sector. Right. So we have a number of large, for example, uh, automotive OEMs that we serve in mm-hmm. the GTHA and some of the largest automobile parts suppliers in the world are in are in our service area. Right. And we've talked to them, and it's funny the conversations you have, you know, they're all moving to electric vehicles. They see yeah. where it's going, technology, new entrants as well as established incumbents. And when we talk to them, um, the interest and sort of the, the light bulb to say, you know, the the integration of the power grid at the grassroots level to enable either uh, in this case, um, electric vehicle charging Mm -hmm. and how it impacts power grids and, and the pricing of electricity, whether it's time of use pricing, overnight charge rates, whether it's leveraging AMI technology to understand behaviors for charging at work and at home, or Using smart grid technologies to optimize charging at the, in this case, the, you know the the mini pad transformer level mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, so that you know you get the most use out of that resource, right. and integrating that together, we believe in sort of the the integrated grid of the future. And so, EV, you know, automation is just one example of how that works. Bottom line is, we aren't going to get to these goals unless the grid, and we call it a DSO, distributed system operator, right. not passive grid anymore, yep. the interactive neural network of um, of power systems that has intelligence built into it that allows EV integration, that allows building automation to draw power from the grid and build this energy ecosystem that, that is the catalyst for a low-carbon low Canada.
1: Yeah, and I know you're Company's been involved in pilot projects in this space. How far away is is that DSO of the future? Is it oh. you know imminent or or is it ten years out or?
0: Um, so one of the things we're seeing, I'd say, post COVID, is and probably more in Ontario. We have a you know, as you know, a, a very um, different settlement system for uh, power and generation okay. costs. Um, so we have the global adjustment concept, yep. uh, which basically takes the fixed costs of the system and allocates them to customers on some basis. And when we saw the energy and demand collapse post-COVID and a year ago, a lot of these mid-market, we call them Class B global adjustment customers, they, their energy consumption reduced quite a bit, right. um, but they're building. Because of the take or pay nature of the generation contracts. Right, and right. so they were very frustrated because they were saying, oh, I, you know, I've turned off the lights in my facility. Nobody's home. Yeah. they my bill stayed the same, what do I do? Well, a lot of them were saying, I'm looking, I want alternative solutions. I want behind the meter solutions or these DER solutions, storage, yeah. generation, demand response. So we've been working with Entercan and the ISO and this pilot project, non-wires alternative, to engage these resources, basically instead of just a centralized model where you've got centralized generation and all that centralized generation is dispatched into the grid by some system operator based on an algorithm. There's all these downstream resources at the edge of the grid and they're increasing. There's demand response, there's manufacturing automation, there's storage, Some of these companies I talked about earlier, we're looking to supply them with behind the meter generation. All that generation can be dispatched and and, uh, brought into the grid efficiently. And it it empowers consumers. It gives them another revenue stream. It gives them resiliency and reliability. Um, And and it's a more balanced system. This is where this ecosystem starts to develop. So we've turned on that pilot and we hit a, um, a heat wave mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and for first ever time in any jurisdiction that that we're aware of, um, uh, load, distributed resources, generation, storage was dispatched from the other end of the grid uh, in real time in a real time electricity market at the edge of the grid to help alleviate that high peak demand condition. That's never happened before so how far away are we there's a lot associated with this in terms of the mechanics the safety and the settlement process but with Enercan and the iso we have a building block to do that and our goal is to actually put that in place in ontario hopefully and then we could commercialize that and take it to other jurisdictions this model can be replicated but uh, as i said it empowers consumers and it is much more efficient and can and can help us meet our GHG targets.
1: Wow. Okay. Now, uh, those activities don't sound like sort of traditional regulated distribution utility activities. So are are uh, some of these being delivered by a non-regulated um, entity under Electra? Or are you kind of operating yes. both a regulated and non-regulated, and this is this is well, non-regulated? This side?
0: That's right. Okay. So this is where we talk about an integrated utility. The, fu- the future utility, I believe, must be integrated because of all this, you know, whether it's uh, um, smart grid or next generation AMI yeah. or you know DERs at the edge of the grid, they all have to be interconnected. And not only interconnected, they have to be built into the new, uh, electricity markets, Right. electricity markets, not just upstream, but also downstream. And so, um, yeah, that's what we need to do going
1: forward. So our regulatory model is gonna to have to change because the, the current regulatory model is not <laughs> conducive to these kinds of innovations, is it?
0: The, the, the challenge and the OEB looked at this in the Advisory Committee on Innovation a couple of years ago, and other jurisdictions are looking at it. Yeah. Uh, Offgem and uh, PJM, is right. what is the model going forward for rate-based utilities? Because if the choice is between the customer putting in a generator or me putting in, you know, a three-phase 28 kV line that I earn a rate of return on, yeah. most utilities will take, you know, option B instead of option A. Is that right from a societal point of view? Is that right from a customer choice point of view? Yeah. Is that right from a sustainability point of view? Right. So that's the challenge regulators have. They need to answer that question. And my view is broaden the scope and you know just there there are there is an issue because you know some of these some of these services are competitive. But there are I believe there are solutions, but yes, regulation needs to be redefined. The role of the local utility distribution utility needs to be redefined right. by regulators to enable these choices.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about uh about uh, sector innovation. You touched on some of the pieces, but um, you know, your company's been uh at the forefront of of some of the electricity sector innovation. You continue to be and we've talked about this before as well, um, you know, your your focus on improving customer service. And, you know, two projects come to mind, uh at least from my perspective, the Advantage Power Pricing and uh, and the Powerhouse uh initiative. So, How do you see um, integrating the customer into your emissions reductions plans?
0: Well, I mean, it's more than just putting technology in place. It's also impacting consumer behavior. So, you know, we see that um, we would like to be um, the one stop for customers. So if they want to... Uh, have a, um, you know, um, induction charging in the garage or a battery, you know, charger on the wall, uh, level two charger on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can combine that with uh, time of use pricing mm-hmm. that because you have an electric vehicle will give you a low two cent overnight rate, you know, because you, you, have, you have the choice to do that plus you know we have smart metering into the home so we know we can optimize charging in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. so you know we don't cause any electrical issues um, and optimize energy use in the home using technology next generation technology and we can wrap all that together then you know we think that's a good value proposition we need to do that with partners we don't want to do that on our own but and this is where the model needs to change into regulated competitive services uh, because there is a demarcation and you know we respect that but I think I think there's ways around that so advantage power pricing is about choice on time of use rates powerhouse is really around it's the same concept sort of as the non-wires alternative except it takes um, a battery lithium ion battery in the home it takes uh, either a 5 or 11 kilowatt uh, sol- solar photovoltaic rooftop generation and software, a DERM software platform, distributed uh, energy resource management software platform, yep. and optimizes the charging of the battery with the generation in the home, withdrawing from the grid, monitoring grid prices, monitoring you know keeping a base level to to maintain um, resiliency in the yep. in the face of blackouts and if they want to inject into the grid so it's basically doing demand response injecting into the grid and providing you with you know blackout prevention all at once optimizing that now you you have to get that you know competitively priced you have to package that and commercialize it but we think that's that's got lots of potential in the future
1: and then from the perspective of a distribution system operator, it becomes a small virtual power plant.
0: Exactly. It's exactly. dispatchable. Yes. Yes. That's it.
1: Awesome. That's very cool. Now, so we, talk, we talked a little bit about the 2050. We talked a little bit about 2025. Um, let, let's talk about more immediate plants and uh you know to start reducing ghg emissions let's say in the next 18 months instead of the next 30 yeah. years or the next 5 years what's what's the the, the next immediate steps brian that you have for uh, for the company and for and for your customers
0: um, i mean the key is to have a strong team in place and maintain that cultural commitment which we have which is yeah. great so it all starts with leadership but we have we have focused primarily on uh, internally on uh, fleet so we do have evs and hybrids within our fleet okay. uh, we're looking at analysis to you know increase electrification of our of our fleet there is software that is set and forget technology for anti-idling which okay. which we're employing and of course we're constantly measuring this and also really uh enforcing the behavioral changes to you know lines personnel who are out in the field to conscious yep. of idling, et cetera. Yep. And and making sure that we're monitoring those emissions, you know, through GPS and other things yeah. to make sure we know, you know, when the truck is not moving but the ignition is on. Mm-hmm. Um just trying to prevent those things. And then the
1: taken system, taken as a whole throughout the fleet, that that starts to make a difference, does it?
0: Oh it does. It's, yeah. it's gonna be sixty two percent of our goal.
1: Thirty eight
0: percent, yes. Wow. Okay. And then, and the balance is in facilities, so it's a whole building automation process. We we are rationalizing some of our facilities, so you know we do have existing lead gold standard buildings, okay. and we're looking at a state of the art facility in in Brampton that will um, that will have a very low carbon footprint and and be built to a lead gold standard.
1: Okay, now maybe that's the one. One of my colleagues said I, I, I need to. I need to ask you about a, a new facility that you're uh, you, you've recently announced uh, that is uh, slated for August 2023. Is yes. is this the one you're talking about? Maybe tell yes. us a little bit about it.
0: So we have an operations center in Mississauga, a legacy one, and and we had had one which was that was the former InterSource uh, operations on Mavis Road. And, uh, and one in Brampton, which was the Hydro One Brampton Operations Center. Yeah. Um, we are divesting of both of those properties and and for um, operational purposes, in terms of rationalizing facilities, bringing cultures together mm-hmm. and their service level efficiencies, we're, we're bringing them together in one operation center in Kennedy Road in Brampton. Um, and And that facility, as I mentioned, Will be built to lead gold standards, um, and it will also um, feature 500 kilowatts of rooftop solar power generation, hmm. 30 EV chargers, and those EV chargers will be connected to solar charging. And um, uh, the emissions have been engineered for uh, to six to seven percent reduction in just on that without the uh, the solar impact. Right. Uh, building efficiency standards six to seven percent reduction over uh sort of legacy uh, standards as well the other one that we should mention in terms of so there's facilities uh fleet the other one is grid okay and one of one of the areas in grid that you know is probably not well known is um the uh the different ways that we have when when a breaker comes apart when it operates a circuit breaker comes apart if there's a fault on the system, yeah. a relay operates and the breaker opens. You have to extinguish the arc, okay. um, and there's different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Vacuum. Uh, one of the ways of doing that is sulfur hexafluoride, SF6 gas. Yeah. Sulfur hexafluoride has a uh, uh, a GHD profile 23,500 times bigger than a conventional I'll say CO2 molecule, given the right. same so it is a massive, even though it's low density, low volume, it has a massive contribution. So we have SF6 leaks and that sort of thing. It can really uh, impact your, your GHG emissions. Right. So we're looking at how we take all of our transformer stations, substations, and, um, and, and convert that arc quenching, interrupting medium either through leak reduction or actually changing out the, S- the SF6 gas to some other medium. That has a big impact on uh, our GHG profile.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've been around long enough. so I remember when SF6 was uh, was the solution to getting PCBs out of the system. Yes. And now, yeah, and now uh, there's a recognition. No more. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hey uh, Brian one of the things that I ask uh, folks that come on the uh, podcast is about a book uh and always interested to to hear either a book that you're reading or a book that you've recently read that, that you would recommend to uh the the listener and we're starting to add it to to what we call the Flux Capacitor book club so so for you what book would that be
0: So there's a book that I like because it it talks about um Innovation and reinvention, okay. And and the book is called "The Smartest Places on Earth," and it's written by uh, Antoine Van Eckmal and Fred Baker. And these guys were uh, they were actually investment bank before, okay. and then they became um, authors and public policy advisors. And the premise of the book is really around they, what they say is um, that the unlikely hotspots of global innovation Mm -hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't intuitively think this is where they would be but they're saying that the former rust belt areas the abandoned manufacturing facilities in the northeast you know whatever primary industry um, was in there that you know is no longer you know uh, productive there's a renaissance going on and the renaissance is sort of a breeding ground for innovation reinvention and it is like when most innovation happens it's sort of bringing disparate things together and you know having a a a problem or an issue or a challenge and how do we make that work And, and what they're saying is that when you bring in you know entrepreneurs and academia and government who is trying to, you know, have their own policy objectives um, in a legacy environment that, you know, is sort of brownfield. There's this, what's happening is this explosion of innovation and they call it from going from rust, rust belt to, to the brain belt. Mm. And they're saying they're using entrepreneurism,
1: innovation,
0: technology, that that can beat out cheap labor Mm -hmm. so so the differentiator is not uh, cheap labor the differentiator is using you know whether it's robotic process automation internet of things 3d printing these kinds of things in the right environment you can gain competitive advantage you can reinvent yourself through partnership, innovation, and technology, and I think that's a perfect metaphor for utilities, where we're trying to reinvent ourselves right. through partnership, automation, and technologies.
1: Awesome! The smartest places on earth. Yes. Great! Hey, that's that's terrific. We'll 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 add that to our uh, we'll add that to our reading list. Brian, thank you very much. Really appreciate you joining the the, the net zero conversation, and it was it was uh, it was great to get your perspectives and the and the views from the views from Electra.
0: Thank you, Francis. Really enjoyed it. I
1: hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future podcasts in this series, which will include industry, government, and stakeholder guests, further discussing the implications of and the pathways to the net zero future. And as always, Let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.